there's a universal truth out there, and that is nobody prospects enough. Inner Sales Podcast, Episode 8, The Life of a Prospector with Steve Mulch. Welcome to the Inner Sales Podcast, where you will learn how to connect with your own intuition and create a more successful and enlightened sales career. Listen as John and Russ discuss what it takes to drive revenue from the inside out. And now, here's your host, John Stannis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inner Sales from 3YG. I am your host, Jonathan Stennis, and I am joined, per usual, by my co-host, Russ. Hey, Russ, how's it going in Wisconsin? You got monsoons, I hear. Oh, yeah, we got a little bit of a break, but uh, I'm doing well. Yeah, hopefully, I think the forecast is like 10 consecutive days of rain coming up. So um, I thought I was in Portland. No. <laughs> It doesn't rain this way in Portland, where <laughs> we got two inches in an hour. Uh, we are joined today by Steve Mulch, owner of Veritas Training Group in Cincinnati, Ohio. How's it going, Steve? Yes, it's going great. Thank you, John. And our, our rain comes in the form of humidity this time of year, and I think it's about 92% right now. So, uh, so but that's what, it's, that's what August is like in Cincinnati. Yeah, it just kind of comes in from all directions. You can't avoid it. There is no up, that's there right. is no down. <laughs> exactly. So today on our sales podcast, we're going to be talking about um, the life of a prospector. We brought on Steve because he has had a lot of experience um, prospecting in his career. So we want to learn about some about that and what his experience has been and what issues he sees, what challenges he sees, and what makes it so difficult and how to get past those things. So Steve, let's learn a bit about how you've gotten to this role. Can you tell us a bit about your background and what brought you into prospecting? I'd be happy to. Uh, uh, Very quickly, I was a corporate guy for 31 years in the packaging industry and uh, spent 20 years with Packaging Corporation of America. And when I left there, I came up through sales. When I left, I was general manager of a plant in Grand Rapids and also director of national sales and then moved to James River Corporation as general manager of national sales and then had a four-plant group that I was responsible for as VP and general manager. And then after five years, went to Multicolor Corporation as a part of a turnaround team. That was a label company and uh, was senior vice president of sales and marketing. And so um, spent uh, much of my corporate career either directly in sales or managing sales organizations. So that's that was my major background before I got into the uh, the training business. Mm-hmm. And how did you and Russ meet up? I know you two had some um, past experience together. Yeah, actually, uh, Russ was uh, was general manager of a couple of our operations uh, on the West Coast in Seattle and Portland. And then uh, as he and I got to know each other, he also took over our Los Angeles location. So uh, while at James River, we had a good chance uh, to get to know each other and work together. Is that accurate, Russ? You're smiling there like, <laughs> I don't know about this guy. No, that is accurate. I was surprised. It was a good job remembering all that. So I wasn't sure if you would. But yeah, so Steve and I were actually worked for the same corporation for quite a while. But yeah, we had a direct reporting relationship for a couple of years maybe at that. Before yeah. We both kind of moved on pretty much the same time. Mm-hmm. And then Veritas. How the heck did Veritas get started? You obviously had a lot of experience um, in bigger industries. So why did you decide to 
strike out on your own and start up a, a sales training program? Yeah, I was, uh, I was 53 years old. And as I mentioned, 31 years in corporate America. And uh, I, I often came home from one of our large meetings uh, at, at where we had had a speaker or, or training or something like that. And I would say to my wife, you know, honey, I, I could see myself doing that someday. Hmm. I, I, I could be that guy. And um, so at, when, I left, uh, when I left Multicolor, I, I, I could either go back into, into another corporate job, but I, I really wanted to do something on my own. And so I, uh, I took a look around and I was in a conversation with a, a local sales training company and, and uh, pretty far down the road with them, actually. And then I did, a, I did an internet search just to see what, what else was out there. And I located this company in New York called DEI Management Group. And they happened to be in the process of franchising their business. Mm -hmm. And ju just almost on a, on a lark, I, I uh, reached out to them on the internet and they contacted me the very next day and said, Stephen Schiffman, the guy that owned the company, was going to be in Cincinnati the very following week. Would I like to meet with him? And I said, sure, like, why not? And so I met with him at 8 o'clock in the morning at the Cincinnati airport. And we had a nice visit. But then he pulled out this thing he called the prospect management system. And, and I just, I mean, I was enamored with it. I mean, it struck me like a bolt of lightning. And, and I said to Steve at the time, I said, you know, Steve, if I had had this tool mm -hmm. 15, 20 years ago, I could have run some sales organizations a lot better than I did. And to make a long story short, um, I gave him $50,000 and became his first franchisee. So that's how I got into the business originally. And that was in 2003. And what was it about this tool that you saw that made you drop that 50K? Like, okay, I've got to have this. I've got to do this. I see this as my future. I guess two or three reasons. First of all, I loved the, the simplicity of the system. It was, the simplicity made it elegant, quite frankly, because too many things in the life of a salesperson are complicated. Mm -hmm. The marketplace is complicated. The, our competition is complicated. We don't necessarily need to make our systems complicated. And so I, I love the simplicity. I also love the visual nature of the system. It, it was incredibly visual. And I happen to believe that salespeople react better to, to a picture than they do to a list of names and, 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 and numbers. Uh, in essence, it's a sales pipeline system. And the visual nature of it made it incredibly evident around what a salesperson needs to do to be successful. It also delivers a high level of credibility um, and a high level of accountability around performance. And, and those were the major elements, John, that, that caused me to say, this is something that I want to do. That can really relate to that visual aspect, I think. Um, having something that can display information because um, I think we process visual information so much faster than written or audio and being able to see something um, in that way really helps. And I could see how that would help you. So let's get to prospecting. We're going to talk a bit about um, the role of prospecting. Um, we want to focus specifically on prospecting and as in addition to the rest of the information you can bring to us about selling, um, how would you define prospecting itself? 
John, that's a great question. And I think it's important that we get clear about, about what we mean when we say prospecting in, in this venue. Um, because certainly marketing plays a role in prospecting. I, I, sometimes I, I, I say that marketing does a lot of the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Market, marketing can do a great job of, of increasing brand awareness. They can, they can make the market more, more aware of who we are and what we do. Uh, they can do a lot of great things. But when it's all said and done, at some point, the salesperson has to initiate mm-hmm. the, the, the sales process. And so we have our lead list and, and we have our marketing efforts. But everything that the salesperson individually does in order to get in front of uh, someone who wants to buy something from us, that's, the, that's, that's what prospecting is. So all the emails and the phone calls and the networking and all the efforts that we take individually to at some point get in front of a prospect, that's the prospecting process that, that I like to talk about. I think, I think, I mean, if I, John, I mean, that's a great definition because I think, you know, at least what I see a lot of on LinkedIn is, you know, cold calling's dead. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that in some prior episodes. And I think people kind of take that definition to an extreme, like, you know, hey, I've, I've identified a company I'm interested in getting in front of, and I just pick up the phone and I try to get to the right person. You know, there's an element of research. And as Steve said, you know, maybe emailing, maybe marketing support, you know, I think seldom is it just picking up the phone and literally cold calling without doing some homework, you know, to figure out, you know, can you identify and get to the right person? Do you even know who that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think anybody these days with the amount of information available to us is just going to call up any kind of company, you know, call their front desk, call their receptionist. Can you talk to somebody about sales? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So trying to reach out, use the various tools, LinkedIn, uh, data.com. Wasn't that one we used back? Yep. Data.com. I mean, there's free resources at the library. Mm-hmm. There's reference USA. I mean, there's a ton of them around that can at least give you some indication about where you should head. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. There's, there's so much information available, e- even compared to when I first started the business, uh, I guess it's been almost 16 years ago the amount of information and the ease of access mm-hmm. of the information today compared to what it was 10 or 15 years ago is radically different. So there's no reason not to take the time to, to make yourself aware of, of, of who it is do you want to talk to and generally speaking, what do they do? Yeah, I guess I hadn't realized that, Steve, but you know, when you started, what year was it? Oh, two? 2003. Three. You know, I, I don't remember the state. Was LinkedIn even around? No. In no, 03, you know, uh, CRMs were, I think, just starting to gain some momentum, but, you know, maybe it wasn't a huge component of it as well. So well, back then, very back, different. yeah, ACT was the big database. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, 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 and today you wouldn't find ACT uh, anywhere high on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Contact management. Right. Do you find that with all the information available that... And this is just what I see in general. We are bombarded with so much information these days. Um, so really, this, the problem isn't lack of information. It's too much information and being able to find the correct information in the stream. Do you find the amount of information these days maybe overwhelming? And maybe there's a bit of an issue trying to find the right information, trying to find the right person? Well, let, 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 me, let me address that. Um, 
you know, I, I only do two workshops. I do the prospecting workshop from the standpoint of, of, of the pipeline system. And then no, I do a workshop around appointment setting. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the things that I, I guard against, or I ask people to be careful of is sometimes salespeople are guilty of spending all their time camped out on trying to find out too much information. Okay. Okay. In other words, they're, 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 they're researching, 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 and it becomes an excuse not to pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that, that I want to know enough information as who am I reaching out to? Generally speaking, what do these people do mm-hmm. so that I understand how I might fit in with them? But I, I guard against spending a tremendous amount of time doing research. Remember this. Most of the time when you reach out to somebody, you don't reach them. Okay. So I can spend a half an hour doing research for voicemail. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think you have to find the right balance between being properly armed and going way overboard because there's so much out there. So I think, John, you, you raise a great point. So you've had a lot of history in your um, corporate life around sales, but did you receive any training throughout your career? Um, I mean, what kind of training did you see? So you've, you're doing the training now. So what kind of training did you receive, or if any of all, when you were um, on the other end of things? And what did you like about it? What didn't you like about it, if you saw any? Sure. The, um, when it comes to true prospecting, I got the normal training. Here's a phone book. Mm-hmm. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> or what were the directories back then? The Thomas Guide. Right. The top, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little bit. Well, when, when it comes to prospecting, that was it. Yeah, that was yeah. it. Now we did spend. We we had back in my PCA days. We had some pretty good training when it when it comes to what do you do in front of the customer. In other words, once you've got the appointment and you're 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 working on what I'm going to call your effectiveness. Um, I would say we got some pretty good, solid training around how to be effective in front of the customer, but we didn't receive any training around, well, well how do you get there in the first place? Mm-hmm. And so that's a, that was and still remains, I would say, a significant void. The other thing that we didn't get any training around was what, what is the level of prospecting necessary in order to be successful? At, at what do you have to do? What does it actually take in order for you to hit your goals? Almost no training has ever addressed that issue. And so that's, it's an, a critical element within being successful in sales. Steve, a follow-up to that. I have my theory, but I'm curious on yours. Why do you think that is with such established organizations, established companies, heavily, you know, manufacturing companies who probably have a process for everything? Why do you think it is usually or typically or almost always absent when it comes to sales and selling? For whatever reason, Russ, companies make an assumption that because you are in sales, you must know how to prospect. It's just assumed that because you have the role, it's something you understand. And the reality is, first of all, only 30% of all salespeople have ever been trained, period. So 70% have received no training. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think the other piece of that is most of the people running companies don't understand the challenge around prospecting. And 
and they think salespeople are, are gifted. You know, I often ask people at the beginning of a training, I'll say, is training a process or an art form? And so many people approach sales as, well, actually, it's an art form. You're, you're born with the ability to sell. No, you're not. You may have certain attributes that, that make you better suited for sale, but nobody's born that knows how to sell. And, and, and the, my, my answer to the question, is sales a process or an art form, is the answer is yes. And I think great selling is a process artfully done, but the process comes first. The art form is then applied. Most management teams don't understand that. I think that's interesting when you say when you come to that assumption that people think because you're in sales, you know how to prospect, you know how to do this. I think there's a lot of assumptions that happen in business. I think of like management, people assume um, if you're good at a technical thing, you're like good at programming or you're good at production or you're good, you know, in medical field, maybe you're good at nursing that because you're good at the technical aspects of it, that you're going to be a good manager. And so they just throw you up there expecting you to be able to manage something, which in my opinion are completely different skills. So I don't understand why people make that assumption that people would have those same skills across um, disciplines. And what really brings, what are those traits that you see that are what help somebody have an have initial upper leg into sales? To be successful, I think the organization, when they attack this whole subject matter, the first thing they need to do is indeed, is there a, is there a sales process that is clearly defined within this organization? If I go up to any salesperson in the organization, I say to them, could you walk me through your sales process? What does it look like? That they're absolutely able to answer that question. And most, most companies... That I, that I work with um, cannot effectively answer that question. So there's not a universal language. Mm-hmm. There's not a universal way that we look at the sales process. Um, you, normally, you can't see it. You can't touch it. And people can't verbalize it. And so I think that's the energy necessary to go into establishing that process is paramount. And many companies, particularly I would say small to medium-sized companies have not put enough effort into that. Mm-hmm. So how important was prospecting itself when you started Veritas? I mean, obviously you trying to get clients and sales yourself. So what was that prospecting process looking like for you? Well, I remember those days very, very well because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 was, I was sitting where I'm sitting right now in my home office and I had a laptop I had a telephone and, and I had um, some sort of a lead list that I had put together. I, I was using um, the book of lists from the business courier and, um, and I had no customers. Mm-hmm. My beautiful wife of now 43 years at that time, not quite that many. Anyway, uh, she, she didn't work. And so it, it was totally my income that was going to sustain us. And I, as I mentioned earlier, I'd just given Shipman $50,000. So here I sit with no customers and, and oh, by the way, uh, no brand awareness. Mm-hmm. In this part of the world, on the East Coast, DEI meant something. In this part of the world, DEI management group meant nothing. And so um, it was prospect or die. I mean, that's, that's, that's the only way I can say it. I could, 
I, I either had to figure out how to get in front of people and earn a living, or I was going to, uh, I was going to have to go back and take a real job. Mm-hmm. And the good news is, is that I had just gone through intense training on the DEI methodology, which I absolutely believed in, and I was willing to, uh, I was willing to uh, drink the Kool-Aid. I was willing to take my own medicine. And I took the prospect management system to heart. And what I knew was I needed to populate this. I call it the board. Mm-hmm. It's a schedule board for selling. I needed to populate this board with enough business opportunities to overcome my closing ratios in order to survive. And I did it. Mm-hmm. And um, so part of it was desperation because I, it was the only income that was going to be coming into this household And part of it was uh, uh, the true belief that if I systematically approach this prospecting work and use the material that I teach, I could be successful. And the good news is it worked. Can you comment on that, Russ? I think you started kind of at the same place just a few years ago. Yeah. So on some level, Steve, would you agree? I mean, it does come down to math. You know, throughout our careers – and we work together, you know, we never paid attention to that is what is the level of activity first and foremost that I would have to undertake to make this happen, you know, replace my income. You know, what do I have to do to replace my income? And, you know, and then once you start to participate in the activity, you, you know, then you can figure out how to do it better. You know, how do you get in front of enough people and certain amount of those are going to move forward. And so this is another question I have for you. I'm really interested in your point of view about why do you think metrics, because we never tracked them, any organization I've ever worked in, we never did. Maybe an intuitive sense of proposal win rate at best. Why do you think that's ignored as well? I, you know, that's a great question, Russ. And I agree, no organization I ever worked with, and you know, we both worked for some very good companies. Mm-hmm ever spent the time to understand what the key selling ratios were and um, let alone allow them to become um, paramount in driving performance. And, and, I, and, I, and I have to say that as I, as I worked that first year or two, knowing that, that, that selling ratios are critical to success I, I, I took ownership of that concept and I tracked everything. Of course, mm-hmm. my, that what was helpful was that I had a system that allowed me to track everything. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I knew how important it was. And I think the essence of it is this. I learned that every time I made six first appointments, that one of them would close. Let me say it again. I learned that every time I made six first appointments, a first appointment is defined as a date and time to see someone who could possibly do business with me. Every time I did that six times, one of them would close. Mm-hmm. And once, once I, I understood that, I said to myself, this is easy. All I have to do is make six appointments and one of these people are going to buy from me. I can do this. If I want two sales a month, all I have to do is set 12 appointments. The other thing I learned was every time I picked up the phone, 
ten times one person would see me. Therefore, every time I made 60 dials, I made a sale. I cannot tell you how liberating that was. <laughs> I can, I could, I'm imagining, Steve, from our, some of our listeners are going total old school. Those days are gone. That ain't how it is today. Millennials, mm. blah, 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 technology, yada, yada, yada. I don't subscribe to it, but I'm guessing that some of the reaction right now is that's old school methodology, which doesn't apply today which my not asking a question necessarily, but it's such a fallacy, you know, uh, uh, short of doing what you describe, you are left to a prospect's willingness to call you Mm -hmm. or email you or fill out a CTA on your site, do something. So you're left really up to the mercy of, you know, them taking the step instead of you actively taking the step. No, no, no question. And I cannot sleep at night waiting for somebody to contact me. It's just, it's, it's just, it's just not, it's just, it's just not an option. And, and even, even if you say to yourself, well, you know, I'm going to have such a robust website and I'm going to have such powerful marketing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And these people reach out to you. You still have to end up setting the appointment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, You still have to go out and see somebody unless you're in telesales. And so what I say to people is this, I don't care how you get the appointment. If you are such a good networking person that you can get all the appointments you need by networking, God bless you. If you have such a robust website that that all these people are reaching out to you and you can get all the appointments you need, then that's fantastic. If your marketing is so effective that you can't fend off enough calls, wonderful. Yeah. I don't care how you get the appointments. All I know is this. In my case, I needed six to get a sale. The important thing is that I knew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you've got that. You have to have a process in place so that you can track something. You have to be able to say, this will lead to this, will lead to this. And just kind of shooting the blanks and not having any kind of analysis of it is going to lead you nowhere. And I think you got a very good point there about the context of things. You need to use the right process for the right context. If you have, you know, like you're saying, a great website, self-service website, something like that, that brings in the prospects, you know, that's great. But you got to then deal with those prospects. That's like go off on tangents here. Um, but I think that's a really good point about having a process and having the information down. Because I think a lot of people guess about it and they don't look at it. I feel like you need to make hypotheses and test them. So you knew you had that six to one ratio. And how did you come to that ratio? How did you measure that ratio? Obviously, you were using your board, I assume, to take that and see, all right, here's where people are falling by. Here's my funnel. And this is where I can see the numbers. And you would track it in that system. Exactly. Exactly. My system tracks that activity. So it lets me know exactly what I have to do. Here's the analogy. And I use this in training. Here's the analogy. You know, if I, if I have a group of people in a, in a workshop and I say to them, listen, here's, here's what I want to do. Let's go outside and I'm going to pick a spot five miles away. And I want us to run from here to there. Some of you are in pretty good shape. You'll get there in no time. Mm-hmm. The rest of us will get there in some time. But if I change the scenario and say, here's what I want you to do. I want you all just to start running. Just run. And I'll tell you when to stop. 
Well, you get down the road about 300 yards and you look at each other and you say, well, this is pretty stupid. We don't know how far we have to go. Well, see, it's the same way in sales. If you don't know what it takes to get what you want, you're just working, hoping that you're working hard enough to get what you want. Mm -hmm. And you're more apt to quit. Well, if you know that it takes you six first appointments to get a sale, Mm -hmm. guess what? Now I know what I have to do to get a sale. For me, I have to have six first appointments of those six, four turn into information gathering of those three, three turn into proposals. One of those three proposals will close. That's what I have to do. Now I know. Mm -hmm. Go do it. Yeah. What's inherent in it as well, Steve, and what I find is most managers, most people focus on the close. One's it going to close? One's it going to close? One's it going to close? You can in a way, you don't really care about that. The focus is more about if I'm getting in front of enough people, I'm getting my share. It, something will close. Exactly. So it really does shift the focus from an activity perspective, you know, from close to what am I doing on the front end? Because the close may take a while. You got to consider the sales cycle. If I'm focused on closing, that could be six months, that could be 18 months. It depends. It's way too late. It's you know, way too late. Yeah. It, it, Russie, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. I was working with a bank one time and I was, I was meeting, I was doing a, a, a follow-up meeting with the bank president, actually, of that particular market. He had about 20 lenders around the table and he said to the group, they were using my system. They said, you know what, guys, I only care about this proposal to close. That's, that's what I care about. And I had to break in on him and I said, wait a minute, Bill. Where do you think these proposals came from? Yeah, yeah. They came from first appointments. When you don't have enough proposals out there, don't be surprised. We have to manage this system from the very beginning, not from the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had been talking uh, earlier before we had this, having this conversation um, about challenges you had when it became, came to adding people to your own uh, company. Can you tell us about issues you've had bringing people on. Yeah. And, and, and I think the, it's, it's almost been universal. What I've learned over these years is that, uh, you know, in order to be successful in the business that I'm in, by and large, you have to have walked in the shoes of the people we're selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, having, having good, solid management, preferably executive management experience is extremely helpful because that helps you communicate with the people that are buying our product. And so I've had some people that are, 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 are really solid business people with a tremendous amount of, of executive experience and, and they failed miserably. And, and the reason they failed is they, they can't sell. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe at one point they could, but at this stage of their of their life, they either can't or won't. Might be more won't. Mm-hmm. And a, a, a lot of people who have come to work with me have have been enamored with going into the training business. And I tell them, this isn't a training business. Mm-hmm. This is a selling business, and we happen to train. Mm-hmm. And so the people who haven't made it are the people that might be very capable people, but it's the prospecting piece is where people fall down. I think on just to that point, Stephen, I mean, you see a lot of businesses kind of come and go and, you know, what you're saying here is, Hey, I had people become, as I did, 
you know, fascinated with, Hey, I want to do my own thing after years in the corporate world or whatever. I just want to do my own thing. And you may have a great background and a great technical expertise, but at the end of the day, I mean, anyone, regardless of your technical or professional expertise has to be able to, and willing to sell and selling is starts with prospecting. Exactly. And, you know, and I know I've gone through this before, is it on some level feel like it's beneath me, you know, like I already did, I already did my time, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and it does, it is the real kind of gut check time. You know, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to become aware of all the stuff that goes on for you when you think about doing that? You know, and especially if you've been around for a while, it's like, Hey, I did that or better yet. I had people who did it, you know, and um, that's, you know, it starts there and you can't, it doesn't matter how much you know from a technical or professional standpoint, you can't deliver it unless you get in front of the people to help them. And so, and, and it all kind of comes back to what we're talking about today, which is prospecting. Right. Exactly. When you talk about those people failing and not being able to do the prospecting, what in your opinion about the world of prospect prospecting makes it so difficult? Oh, I think, I think it boils down to, uh, or, or th- there are several elements, but I think the biggest element is, is dealing with no. Understanding the role of no mm. in prospecting. And, and most, you know, salespeople, God love them. They're, they're, they're typically very optimistic people. You got to be and in sales. You do. You got to be optimistic to, to be in sales. And, and most salespeople will tell you, no, well, I never give up. I won't take, haven't you heard this? I won't take no for an Mm -hmm. answer. What a stupid statement. Okay. I won't take no for an answer. See what, but what you have to do is you have to get incredibly comfortable with no. No is integral to yes. If you don't get enough no's, you'll never get enough yeses. Mm -hmm. In my first 31 years of business life, I never understood this. I didn't get it. I mean, if you think about it, if it takes me six first appointments to make a sale, that means I have to collect five no's. Right. Five people have, listen to my words, five people have to tell me no for me to get one sale. See, it's part of the process. Part of the process is collecting enough no's. And so many salespeople allow themselves to be defeated by the no's Instead of embracing the no's, Mm -hmm. every no is one step closer to a yes. I I can't say it more simply. I'm chuckling because it is, it is so, and it's not easy. It's just, yeah. I mean, no, I personally like to think I I can sell to anybody and they're foolish if they don't buy from me, you know, (laughs) kind of thing back to the, uh, Maybe optimistic part, but yeah, that's a hard, I think everyone can get that intellectually and it's hard to get that kind of on a gut level and just be able to say, Hey, that's part of the process. And then, you know, maybe I can look at how I can get better and increase that or improve that ratio from, you know, one out of six to one out of five or one out of 4.5, you know, and kind of then figure out how you can become better and, and increase that ratio. Right. Do you, do you see and, the, and, do you see that ratio and, change at all? Well, I, it did for me. Okay. 
the, the ratios that I'm quoting are, are the ratios that I experienced probably the first six or seven years in business. After I was in the business for six or seven years, then the phone started to ring. Mm. And um, I had built a reputation. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, someone would move from one business to the next. And, and I had one guy take me in four different companies. And so, so it, got, it got better. It got easier over time. And so those numbers got to the point where I was closing about, about one in 3.5 first appointments. They, they got almost twice as good, mm -hmm. but they would have never gotten twice right. as good if I hadn't done it in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where you, I mean, you pick up steam, you pick up the momentum. Like you said, there's people transitioning all the time. You know, you, de you delivered a great product back then and they take you. Why wouldn't they? Right. I hope I'm out there. I'll, you know, take you wherever I go. But yeah, you're right. That wouldn't have started without that initial steps to make exactly. it happen. Exactly. Right. I want to talk a little bit about CRMs. We just did a couple episodes about CRMs, implementing them, and the stages of grief that uh, Russ saw. Uh, quick comment, Russ. <laughs> I was mentioning the stages of grief to my wife, and she was talking about them, and she showed me this video that she had seen when she was in her nursing classes of this little mm. girl going through the stages of grief over a dead, I think it was a goldfish. It, it was mm -hmm. really cute, but going through all of those anger, acceptance, denial. Yeah. And I thought it was really yeah. interesting. She commented that, and I didn't quite get this when I was talking to you. When I was talking to you, it seemed like people were at different stages along the process, but it was a pretty set forward linear process. And she's like, no, it's not like that at all. You can jump all around yeah. those. You can be yeah. anywhere on that at any time. Right. You may move ahead and you may go back. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it's not linear. Mm -hmm. But anyways, talking about CRMs, Stephen, your view, how important is the CRM technology to your prospecting? We talked about the board, but would you be able to do this without your board? Well, I mean, I think, I think CRMs are, are important tools for any sales organization you got you have to have a way to to house and organize data mm -hmm. and, and i think a crm does a beautiful job of housing and organizing data and so i think it plays an important role in the life of, of a salesperson and and so all those elements are successful but the the question that 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 I like to ask, and, and, and Neil Rackham put this pretty well, that, that Neil, he's the guy that uh, started spin selling. It's been a very popular approach over the years. And, and he's, he said, you know, it's important to know what your CRM does, and it's even more important to know what it doesn't do. Mm -hmm. And so I've run into so many companies where they said, we're going to be okay, now we have a CRM, as if the CRM is the magic fix mm -hmm. for the company. And, you know, when that happens, I like, to ask the, uh, I like to ask the VP of sales, okay, you've had a CRM now for two years. Let me ask you one question. Is the CRM driving the behavior of your salespeople? And I get this blank stare, and all of a sudden they kind of go, not really. Exactly. And, 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 and so what, what I think is important is the tools that we ask our salespeople to use. Those tools have to be, first of all, relevant. 
to their jobs. Secondly, they cannot be overly complicated because if they are, they won't use them. Mm -hmm. And, And thirdly, the tools need to drive the behavior that we're looking for around revenue generation and success. And so I think our tool, our approach has been successful because it drives behavior and it's coupled with training so that I'm not only approaching the tool, but I'm approaching the principles and behaviors that surround the tool that give people the opportunity to be successful. Yeah. Tool is only as good as the people that use it, obviously. And I think you, I think people see this, I see this all the time, I think, of people using tools, but not doing it to drive their behavior. They just kind of use it, but then they don't look at it and they don't, they'll feed data into it, but they never take a step back to then look at the data they put into it and analyze it and then use that to change or modify what they've been doing. No, it, it, exactly, exactly. I, you know, salespeople have complicated lives. They have a lot to deal with. Um, and organizations have a lot of expectations for salespeople. And if we make the, the tools less than relevant um, and, and overly complicated, then we're not actually helping them do their jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to do. We need to help them to do their jobs to be successful. Speaking of helping them be successful, I'd also like to see what can managers do um, to help their team with the CRM? What can they see in it? What can they... Uh, change about it or help their uh, team work through with it to drive sales? Well, I think the heart and soul of any sales organization is the sales pipeline. Um, you know, the, the product that I happen to bring, I, I, don't, I don't even call it a CRM. I say, you know, it has some CRM-like capabilities, mm-hmm. which it does. But what, do I, what, what, what we really bring is a sales pipeline. And I, I think for the most part, most companies don't have a, a sales pipeline that is, is giving them a true picture. And so the sales manager needs to be able to engage with the sales organization around that which they're working on, because that's a picture of the future. So many times we're running the organization based upon what we've already done. How are we doing against plan? How are we doing against last year? And it's not, those, it's not that those numbers aren't important. They are important. But all they are is telling us what we've already done. I can't change what's already happened. I can only change the future. And if we don't have, and if managers don't have, a sales pipeline that is accurate and that drives performance, then they don't have a picture of the future because I can affect what happens between now and the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't affect what's already transpired. And so the manager's job, I think first and foremost, is to ensure that the organization has a sales pipeline that is strong enough to overcome their closing ratios to hit their numbers. Mm -hmm. Their, Their job is not to micromanage sales opportunities. And so many times you, sometimes you find that, that is that, that the sales organization goes, oh, my gosh, you've got this pipeline in place. Now now you can see everything that I'm working on. You're going to micromanage me. No, I don't want the manager to micromanage the opportunities. The manager's job is to know that the salespeople are. 
micromanaging the opportunities. Secondly, their job is to coach and help salespeople improve. Well, if you can't diagnose where the sale is breaking down, if you don't have a great way of understanding for this salesperson, where are they stumbling? Are they unable to get enough first appointments? Are they throwing too many proposals into the marketplace and nothing is sticking? They can't get anybody to say yes. Where is the sale breaking Mm -hmm. down? And I want the sales manager to be in a position to effectively coach their salespeople to success. Mm -hmm. Those are the kinds of things that I want the sales manager doing, and they need a great pipeline in order to do that. Anything to add, Russ? No, I mean, I completely agree. It's, it starts with process metrics, understanding all this. And then I, I agree. I mean, primary objective from at least my point of view around CRM for, from a management perspective is to really help, you know, kind of guide forward looking and a great coaching tool. Mm-hmm. We, back to what Steve had said earlier, we just assume salespeople know what to do. That is typically not so for every step of the process. So I have to be able to identify where things are getting stuck and coach to that Mm -hmm. level. Steve, I heard a great story. People were comparing selling in the 50s and 60s and 70s to today and how different it is and technology. And, you know, they were saying, which I think was somewhat true, where, you know, back in the day, the manager, and you may have done this, you know, you you would go with your team you'd be on the road. You'd be sitting in the car with them for a day or two or a week. Great time to converse, coaching opportunity. You're in front of them. You're with them. You're seeing how it's going. You know, it was a really kind of hands-on experience from a management perspective to see what was going on and try to help people become better, which I think a lot of that has gone away. I don't hear much of that going on anymore where managers are out on the road with their team. It may it does occasionally, but not like I think it may have done, been done in the past. There were times, in some instances still are, where the manager is expected to be the super closer. Oh, yeah. Bring okay. in. Yeah, I bring, I bring in the manager, and the manager is the really skilled closer. Mm-hmm. So I bring him in at the right time to close the deal. In that particular case, we don't really have an effective sales organization. We've got a super closer. Hmm. Yeah. So, and, and with, with a lot more virtual offices across the country, you know, the opportunity for the manager to ride with a salesperson, it still happens, but nothing like it used to. Yeah. So you're dead on. Absolutely. The other thing, John, about a CRM, and Steve kind of mentioned it as well, I think what I see um, is a lot of managers, executive owners look to that tool, the CRM, as some sort of magic bullet. We get it. They're going to automatically use it, and it's somehow going to miraculously drive something that we didn't have before. Mm -hmm. And that is just not the case. You're throwing it on top of what is typically a non-existent process, not clear on metrics that make any difference. You know, and then you run into all kinds of resistance and issues moving forward. So it typically doesn't deliver much of anything. So we're getting lower on time here, Steve and Russ. But before we go, Steve, I'd love to know what are uh, one or two key pieces of advice you would love to give our listeners um, that want to grow their sales? What can they really leave this to really take with them to um, work on growing their sales right away? No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll try to not beat this, this dead horse to death, okay? Um, I was having dinner one time with uh, Steve Shipman's uh, top trainer. This is when I was going through training with DEI about 15 years ago, and 
His name was Steve Bookbinder. Un, un, yeah, a lot of Steves. There were three of us. Unbelievable sales trainer and had worked with thousands and thousands of salespeople. And he looked me in the eye and said, you know what? There's a universal truth out there. And that is nobody prospects enough. Nobody prospects enough. Mm-hmm. And I've trained 147 companies in the last 15 years. There's been no company that prospects enough of the 147. I was going to ask you, have you come across, do you come across pockets? Do you come across individuals? Is it the minority share? 147 companies, you heard it from Bookbinder as well. What do you kind of see? Just a little bit here and there? Maybe three maybe percent of all salespeople, which means ninety seven ninety seven percent don't. Yeah, that's probably pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah, I, and and that you know I don't have any documentation to prove that, but after having done this time after time after time after time with thousands of people, that's what I've seen. Yeah, it aligns with what I read recently, where somebody said, "Hey, about ninety five percent of salespeople do not take." Uh, sale from a lead to close, at least not on a regular basis, which is kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah, ex- exactly. So the back other, to John's question, the advice. To, yeah, so, the advice. The, the other piece is this. Most salespeople are working on stuff that's dead. Hmm. But salespeople tend to hang on to stuff simply because it's there. And, and most sales pipelines are filled with stalled and dead deals that nobody's willing to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. See, if you take the stalled and dead deals out of the pipeline, then all of a sudden you're looking at a skinny pipeline. Well, nobody wants to see a skinny pipeline, so they keep all that crap in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, nobody wants to fess up. Even the manager doesn't want to fess up because he's got a boss that he doesn't want to show a skinny pipeline mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so people hang on to a bunch of stuff that's going nowhere. And then at the end of the year, they're surprised that they didn't make their number. Because they had other stuff they thought was in their pipe that wasn't really there. It wasn't really there, but nobody was willing to acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. So they lost the year in June. Mm. Okay, they lost it in June because they weren't willing to look in the mirror and say, this is what's real and this is what's not, which is hard to do. It's hard to do. I mean, I understand why they do it. I get that part. Mm-hmm. But, but in, unless we have a process that forces us to wring out all that stuff that's not going anywhere, we tend to cling to hang on to it. So between not working on enough and not letting go of that, which is not going anywhere, no wonder we end up with skinny pipelines. We don't face reality. Mm -hmm. Though that's my advice. So Steve, when we didn't talk about this earlier, but when you and I got reconnected four years ago, you had, we had talked about this very subject and uh, the company that I had been working for at the time, which John was part of, we had about 50 million in the funnel. And to gauge that, what I did is I went back to a couple of the reps who had been there a while. And I said, all I want to know is for the upcoming week, what do you have in your schedule for dates and times to meet with customers? Could be a phone call. It could be you know a face-to-face meeting, but where do you have any active engagement? And both of them came back with nothing. And I went, that's it. 
even though it looked good, we had all this stuff in the funnel. We had no active engagement. We had no plans. Now that wasn't saying they weren't going to do something. They were doing what most salespeople were going to do, which is continue to reach out. But we had no commitments to meet with anybody. Yeah. That's the stalled or dead indicator for me. Exactly. Most salespeople will tell you, I know exactly what I plan to do next. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. They all do yeah. that. They all yeah. do. I, I know exactly what I plan to do next. I say to them, well, that's really interesting. Does the customer? <laughs> and have they been willing to schedule it with you? See, that's the litmus test. Yeah. The salesperson planning what they want to do next has very little to do with what the customers actually agreed to. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. That's really, yeah. And, drop, and Drop the mic. Yeah. the nature of the system that russ and i work with causes the salespeople to acknowledge Mm -hmm. that which is real with versus that which is not Mm -hmm. and it's it's a rude awakening but it's necessary and it helps them to deal with this particular issue dead installed deals i think that is a pretty insightful thing to take away because acknowledging where you're falling down, I think is a really important thing and acknowledging where things that things are just made up is important to know where you're at. If you have all this junk in there, if you have all this noise, you can't really see the signal. You really can't see the funnel. Exactly. Well, it's, you know, it's unilateral. It's activity that I'm going to take, but as Steve said, does the customer know that? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's really the test is their active engagement. Mm -hmm. as opposed to this being some sort of unilateral action on my part. So, Well, as much as I think we could keep talking about this, we do have to say goodbye to the listeners. So, Steve, thank you so much for being with us. How can people uh, get a hold of you if they want to learn more about the pipeline, the board, and the things you do? Well, if they'd like to visit the website, it's veritastraining.com. You can contact me through the website and I encourage people to reach out to Russ Salzer. He's, he's been a great pupil of this methodology, and he's got a lot of energy. He has a tremendous amount of experience, mm-hmm. and Russ has is, is really adopted this system, so he's a great trainer. So I think, I think uh, they certainly seek me out, but I encourage them to seek out Russ. He does a great job of, of training this material and bringing the pipeline to life. And where can they do that, Russ? Thanks, Steve. So website is 3yg.us and I can be reached through there as well. Awesome. Um, if you anybody's interested in reaching out to the show in general, you can contact us at innersales at 3yg.us or on Twitter at inner underscore sales. You want to reach out to me directly as well. You can reach me on Twitter at, at John Stannis or you can reach me on my website, uh, jstannis.com. You can find the show notes for this episode at 3redu.us slash inner-sales. I believe this is going to be episode eight. If you like the show, please give us a review on iTunes and as many stars as you see fit that you can shove it in there. Um, You can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or Overcasts or any other podcast app to get this show regularly downloaded to your device to listen to at any time. That's how I do all my podcasting myself. Theme music is Shmatsi Kilokatsi Big Kilokats. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Steve, once again for coming on. My pleasure. And thanks again, Russ, for talking with me this week. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for doing this. You bet. And we'll see everybody next time. Mm-hmm.